Well, good morning. Blessed Lord's Day to you. It's a beautiful day. Yes? Maybe cloudy, maybe gray, maybe humid, but we're alive. God is with us, and it's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful day. So praise God for that. I just felt led this morning to, before we, we start, just, is there anything we need to pray about today? Any concerns that something that's going on? Yes, ma'am. Yes. Prayer, prayer request that none of us would be complacent. That we take every day as uh, the best day of our lives. The rest, rest of our lives and the best day of our lives, absolutely. Anything else? Yes, sir. Amen. It is a blessing just to be together and talk about God's Word. And uh, the fact that we woke up this morning is a blessing. And, and as long as we take every day and understand that it is a gift, that nothing is uh, promised, if you will, that uh, every breath we take is a gift from God. When the Spirit breathed breath into Adam, that breath is a gift. And so we should never take anything for granted. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, if all hearts are clear, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day, and I pray, God, you'll be with us as we talk about this uh, crisis moment in Israel's history, and actually in the history of, of the faith, the history of the church is affected by this day. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that you'll just help us today as we study your word, as we consider who you are and what you've done for us and the mercy you show us each and every day. This idea of your love, dear Lord, this tender loving mercy that will not give up on us. And we thank you, God, for that grace that you show us every day. So Lord, we give you our time together. And again, we thank you for this Lord's Day. as We remember who you are and what you have done for us. And we worship you with all of our hearts. So we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I think uh, we all probably had those days or those moments in our lives that were a crisis moment where uh, things were at a point that you just weren't exactly sure what was going to happen. That there was a time in your life that you just felt like, how am I going to get through this? What's going to happen? Maybe you lost your job suddenly. Maybe you were, uh, got a, a report from the doctor that was not good. Maybe you had something happen with your children or something happened in your life that just really knocked you flat. It was a moment in time that you just didn't know, didn't know what was going to happen. We're going to talk about one of those crisis moments today in Israel's history. But first we have to uh, really set the stage. And so we're going to take a real quick run through the first 31 chapters of Numbers, or excuse me, Exodus. Am I, am I, am I doing something wrong here? I didn't want to get too close. Ooh, there we go. Is that okay? Is that okay? Can you hear me now? <laughs> if I get too close, so it gets all that scruffy noise from this stuff I have on my face. There we go. All righty. So as we uh, 
move into our study today. Again, we're going to do a, just a quick run-through of the story of Exodus. Most of us know it pretty well, uh, what happened uh, leading up to. They're in, Ex they're, in, they're in Egypt, they're in slavery, and uh, there's a Pharaoh who arises who know not, knows not Joseph, does not remember Joseph. But these crisis experience in life, crisis experience in faith, crisis experience within when, when life and faith collide are the issues that we see. We believe in God, and yet the world has done this to us, and we wonder where God is in the midst of this. And the Israelites actually felt this while they were in exile. They knew the stories that God had promised, had called Abraham and, and Isaac and, and their father Jacob, and, and that, that God had brought them uh, to Egypt, but now all of a sudden they were in bondage. All of a sudden they were in slavery. They're being treated terribly. They're being whipped and beaten. Their, their babies were being killed. Uh, it was just an awful time in their lives. And so they groaned in their hearts. They groaned in their hearts to God. It doesn't say they prayed. They literally groaned in their hearts, and God heard, and God saw and God came to deliver. So as we look at these chapters 1 through 18, we see Israel in bondage, as I mentioned. They are, they are in trouble. And in chapter 3, chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Exodus, we have God saying, I have heard, I have seen, I, I have compassion, and I've come. And so he comes and meets Moses in a burning bush and says those very words to Moses, I have seen I have seen the oppression of my people. I have heard the cries of my people. I feel deep compassion, and I have come to deliver them from this evil that is happening to them. Then he says to Moses, so go. And Moses says, hey. Hey. You're the one that saw. You're the one that heard. You're the one that came down. You go. I'm not going to go. And Moses said, and God said to Moses, but Moses, I have called you. You are to go. And Moses had a thousand excuses. We all know the story. Had a thousand excuses. I don't t -t 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 talk so good. I don't, t -t -t I, 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 you know, I have a million reasons why I can't do this. And God says, I will be with you. And I will give you the words that you need to say. And with that promise and the promise of his brother Aaron being with him, he goes and he goes. And we have the story of, a, of the ten plagues. We have the story of the, of the, of the Passover and the, the redemption and leaving. We have the story of them crossing through the, 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 the Red Sea and the splitting of the Red Sea. And we have the story of them getting into the desert. And immediately, they, actually when they get to the Red Sea, they start grumbling and complaining and, and moaning and groaning. And, you know, Moses, why would you bring us out to this place? We're stuck here between this lake and the, and the Egyptian army behind us. We are doomed. Let's surrender and go back to, to Egypt. And Moses says, behold, the power of the Lord and the water split and they walk through. They get to the other side. Oh, praise God. We're never going to doubt you again, oh Lord. We're never going to doubt you again. Three days later, oh, oh, we're starving to death. We have no food. Oh, and God sends down manna from heaven and gives them food. Oh, we have no water. We're dying. And God gives them water out of a rock and time, oh, oh, weeks go by, oh, all we have is manna for breakfast, manna for lunch, manna for dinner, oh, at least in Egypt we had fruit and we had meat to eat, oh, we had, oh, let's go back to Egypt. And God 
blows a mighty wind and sends so many quail into their midst. They eat for days and they get sick. And God continues to listen to them and hears their grumbling and leads them to the floor, the steps of Mount Sinai. And that's the first 18 chapters. Chapters 19 through 24, they arrive at Mount Sinai and they have, God makes his covenant with them. I will be your God, you will be my people, but there are some things you have to know. And so in chapter 20, we have the Ten Commandments that are given. And he begins with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of bondage. Therefore, you shall have no other gods before me. And so he gives these Ten Commandments, and these commandments are really very much about and tied up into the great commandment that Jesus uses, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The first four commandments deal with this relationship, right? Right? No other gods, don't use my name, you know, no idols, yes, those types of things. Then the next six deal with this relationship, yes, love and others. Don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, all those things. So this, this, this covenant is based upon laws. And, you know, in our society, we don't like laws so much. We don't like people telling us what to do. Am I right? I have my rights. Yes? Okay? What do you mean I can't eat bacon? That would make me mad if I was a Jew. Just kidding, just kidding. Well, probably would. But anyway, moving on. So anyway, there's agreement between two parties. A, a covenant is a treaty, a compact, an agreement between two parties, one to eat with, which suggests fellowship and agreement, number two, to bind or fetter, which means commitment, and three, to a lot, which suggests sharing. When God makes a covenant, he enters into agreement to commit himself to give what he promises. He is pure, it is purely an act of grace. God, uh, a covenant in the ancient world was usually between two equals. I will do this for you if you'll do this for me. Or someone who is greater than a smaller one, a greater nation over a, a lesser nation, and the greater nation says, I will not destroy you if you pay me money. So if you give tribute every year, my agreement is I won't come in and destroy you. Okay, so usually the one with power has the great upper hand in a covenant. God, who has absolute power, and these Egyptian or these Israelites who are, are slaves in Egypt or former slaves in Egypt, have no power, and God comes down and makes an equal agreement with them. I will be with you. You will be my God. I will be your God, and you will be my people. And so with that, they make this agreement that God will walk with them through the wilderness. God will be with them in the promised land. God will be with them for all time. That was a promise God makes with them in these chapters. Twenty-five through thirty, God says, okay, so for me to live in your midst, Okay, I am a holy God. You are people who are not holy. Therefore, we need to have a sanctified place for my presence to dwell. So he gives them instructions for building the tabernacle as a sign of God's presence in their midst. 
This tabernacle is built uh, by the Israelites. He gives them the details of the size, materials, vessels, clothing, priesthood, all those types of things are mentioned. Precisely described by God. God is a God of order, as we mentioned about during creation discussion. Covenant law was to allow a holy God to live in the midst of an unholy people. That's what the covenant was about. The law was about this understanding of being a holy God wanting to dwell with people who are unholy. Therefore, this covenant had to be made. These agreements that I will live by these commands will need to be made, and the tabernacle needed to be built. So we are in the middle of the story of the tabernacle, okay? In the middle of the story of the tabernacle, he tells them everything I need to do and everything else, and all of a sudden God says, hey, by the way, something's going on down there. Something's going on down there. And so 38, or 32 through 34 is an interlude in the tabernacle story. God interrupts his discussion about the tabernacle and says, we have a problem. We have a problem down here. So those three chapters deal with the problem, and that's the focus of today's lesson, okay? But just to finish out the book, 34 through 40 deals with this detailed, 3411, excuse me, through 40, uh, deals a detailed account of the tabernacle service of the priesthood, construction of of the tabernacle takes place. And then God's glory of the flame and thunder on the mountain comes down to the camp and enters the tabernacle. So God is no longer the God on the mountain, but now is the God in their midst. And this idea of the flame of God, the, 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 the flame and the cloud that enshrouded the mountain is now with them. And so whenever the cloud would rise above the tabernacle and move, they would follow the cloud. Whenever the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they stayed in camp all the way through the next 38 years, okay? So that's how this ends. Let's go back to 32. Aaron and the golden calf, we all know this story. Moses up on the mountainside, up up on the mountaintop for 40 days and 40 nights, and the Israelites are not overly patient, as we see in the earlier chapters. And so they're saying, who knows, maybe he's dead. Aaron, you're you're his brother. Aaron, you're our so-called religious leader. Make us a god to lead us back to Egypt before we die in this God-forsaken place. That's their attitude. And so they bring all the gold that they had taken from the Egyptians. If you remember that story, when they left, the Egyptians gave them gold and silver and said, get out of here because my sons are dead. And so they have all this gold. They bring all their gold, and Aaron takes the gold and, and refines it and makes, turns it into this golden calf, and they begin to worship it, and they begin to sing, and they begin to dance, and they begin to honor. And, 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 uh, and Aaron says, behold, your God, your Lord's that will take us back to Egypt. So this is about the time that God says to, 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 to Moses, we have a problem down here. So they're going down, and Joshua's halfway up the mountain, so he gets Joshua, and they go downhill. Joshua says, I hear the sound of a battle. And Moses says, no, 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 no. That's not the sound of battle. It's not the sound of victory. That's the sound of a party. That's the sound of a party. 
So you get down there and he sees the golden calf and he sees everything that's going on and he gets so angry. God had given him the Ten Commandments. God had cut stones for him, had, had written the Ten Commandments with his own finger upon these rocks. And angry, Moses got so angry he threw the rocks down, threw the tablets down and broke them into pieces. And said, Aaron, what have you done? And Aaron, being a, a, a good son of Adam after the, after the fall, blames everything else in the world. He says, well, these people brought this gold to me, and I just threw it in the oven, and this is what came out. Not my fault. So we have this long conversation, and, they, and God says, I am not going with you. And they all cry out, oh, we're so sorry, we're so sorry, we're so sorry. And Moses says, let me go up and talk to God, and perhaps, perhaps he will forgive you. So he goes up, and um, Moses intercedes before the Lord, and God does relent of his total Getting rid of these people, I was going to say something else, but it wouldn't be nice. Getting rid of these people, but he does bring consequences. For those who were the key players in it, a plague came upon them because of that. So again, we see God's grace, God's love, but also love and justice cannot be separated, correct? There are consequences to our sins. Even when they're forgiven. If I murder somebody, God will forgive me, but I still go to prison. Yes? Yes? Okay. So Exodus 33, 1 through 6. God says, go, but will not go with Moses and the rebellious people. God says to Moses, all right, Moses. And I, I skipped something that was very important. I should have go back. In, in chapter 32, God says to Moses, you know what? Moses, and even here in 33, he goes, Moses, he, he, he offers this thing to Moses. He says, he says, Moses, you know what? I'm just going to get rid of these people and make a whole new people out of you. It won't be the people of Abraham anymore. It'll be the people of Moses will be my chosen people. What a temptation. Yes? For Moses, I'll make a whole new people out of you. And Moses says, oh, God, don't do this. What will, what will, and basically, and I love, I love the humanness of these stories. Moses basically says, well, what will the neighbors think? If, if you do this, all these other nations have seen what you have done, how you brought us out of Egypt, how you, how you split the sea, how you did all these things. If, God, if you do these things, what will the nations think about you after all the powerful things you have done for us that you would destroy us? And again, God relents. And that's the actual word, he relents, which is actually the Hebrew word for repent. And that causes us some concerns to think that God repents or God relents. Does God change God's mind? I'm not a theologian, I'm a biblical guy, you know, so I don't, I don't know but how you answer that. But God obviously reacts to the prayers of his people. Yes? Does God foreknow what's going to happen? Yes. Does God, God predetermine everything? We don't believe so as holiness people. We believe there's free will choice that God does not predetermine everything I'm going to do. 
I have choice to be good or bad, yes? Okay? So how does this work? I'm not sure. God knows. Okay? So I'm not going to try to say I do. All right? So then we get into verses 6 through 11. We have this interlude that really has nothing to do with the story. It just talks about the, that, that on the edge of, the, of the, the camp, Moses put up a tent where he went and talked to God. It's called the Tent of Meetings. And, and so that's, that's where he went. Okay? So then we start into the passage I ask you to read. Did anybody read? 3312 through 4310? Okay. All right. Thank you. So there, we have this conversation beginning in chapter, in verse 12, chapter 33, this conversation. Moses says, now you tell me that I'm going, that I need to go and I need to take these people, but you've not told me who will go with me. And Yahweh says, my presence will go with you. Moses, paraphrasing, well, that's good because I'm not going anywhere without you. I'm not going anywhere. I'll stand here all day. I'll stand here the rest of my life. I'm not leaving this place unless you go with me. And God says, I will do as you ask. I will go with you. And Moses says, now show me your glory. Show me your glory. Now, the word glory is an important word to understand. We think of glory as, as, as being praised, as being lifted up, as being all kinds of things. And that is part of worship and bringing, uh, giving glory to God. But the glory of God, the Hebrew word, really has to do with a heaviness, a sense of, of awe and respect. The glory of God, when God, we're in God's presence. We all all experience this, I pray, that we've experienced this in a church service or whatever. When God's presence is so rich and so real and so deep and so thick amongst us that we can't do anything but really fall on our face before Him. That we, we, are, we are struck by the awesome wonder of God's presence. That's an amazing thing, an amazing thing. And that is what this word glory means, is this this this. this heaviness, this, this sense of, 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 of tremendous authority and yet tender mercy mixed up into one. And Moses says, now show me your glory. I will go back and say that when Moses was talking to God, he says, now also, Lord, show me your ways, teach me your ways so I'll know where to go. Teach me your ways. Help me to know. And Moses is really talking about, and I think I have it on the next slide, but Mo is, is really talking about not both teach me your ways as to who you are, but also teach me the ways as to where we're going. What direction are we going to go? Give me some understanding. Help, give me some comfort. I'm a human being. I don't understand where I'm headed and where we're going and where we're going from this place. I don't understand exactly what's going on right now. God, just show me something. Show me, teach me, teach me something. So I have something to hold on to, something to hold on to. Again, that's 13, verse 13. Teach, show me your ways. This double meaning of literal and figurative. This picture of, of, of wanting to know literally where are we going, but figuratively, God, teach me who you are. Help me to see 
who you are. The, the way is a, is a way of life. The way is the, the, what, what the commandments of God. The way, uh, the Torah in, in Jewish thought is called the way, the, the walk of the way is uh, the way. Teach me these things. Verse 16, how will anyone know you're pleased with me? Now, show me your glory. All of these things are kind of audacious for a human being to ask God. Especially in the midst of what's gone down on down at the bottom of the hill of the people that you're in charge of. Yes? Okay? So, God, teach me. All of these are really, first and last one, are really commands. They're not requests. They're imperatives. Teach me. Now, show me your glory. Now, show me glory. Show me your glory. And so, in the midst of all this, we see Moses uh, still has a little bit of, of, of uh, Pharaoh's palace in him. He grew up in the palace, yes, where Pharaoh just said what he wanted, and people did it. Uh, I don't know what was going on through his mind, but he felt confident that he could ask God these hard questions. Something tells me he knew a little bit about God's mercy and grace, that God was not threatened by our questions. Isn't that amazing? I was told when I was a kid in Sunday school, don't ever question God. Don't ever question what happens to you. Don't ever question what people are doing. Don't ever question what God is doing. Don't ever question God. And then I'm, like, I'm, I'm just a kid and I'm reading the Psalms and that's all they're doing. How long, oh God, is this going to go on? Why? Why, oh God, why? How can I, I can't ask those questions. I'm just a kid, you know. I'm too silly. I'm, I'm, you know, I think Jesus talks about the faith of a child is a little more innocent. We tend to think that maybe we, we know as adults and that we shouldn't act like we don't know. But it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to say, God, Show me, show me you're with me. Show me you're with me. Help me to see your presence. Help me to, to feel your with in the midst of this mess, in the midst of this sorrow, in the midst of, of this loss that I'm feeling, in the midst of this, this diagnosis from the doctor, in the midst of, of life, it's, a, it's, it's falling apart, in the midst of a, a, a world that seems to be going, you know, we're in a handbasket, God. In all of this, help us see that you're here. It's not a problem to ask that question. God is not threatened by our questions. In fact, questioning God, not questioning God's existence, but questioning God is actually a statement of faith. So we ask, how long, oh God, how long is this going to take, go on? Then we're saying to God, I know you're in charge. How, why, why is this happening? You know, God, why is this happening? And, and what, what, how, how can you, please help me. We're saying, God, I know you can help. I know you're God. And I am not. It's really a sign of faith. You say, I can't fix this. It's good for all of us to say that, right? We're fixers, aren't we? Any fixers in here? Every problem comes along, every problem your kids have, oh, I'll fix it. 
I mean, we, we, we live in Mount Vernon. Our, our oldest one got bought a house. He was single down in, in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, and she bought this old house. And she would call, Dad, there's water coming out of the bottom of my, my uh, water heater. Weekend, drive down to Elizabethtown, put in a new water heater, back to, I don't know how many trips we made down there. My wife's here today. She's right there. That's her. I hate to embarrass her, but that's her. But how many times, how many trips we go down there? Dozens? Dozens? Because we're fixers. We're fixers. Okay? And God says, there's some things you can't fix. There's some things you can't fix. I'm here. I'm here. Just call on me. Call on me. Call on me. Now show me your glory. Now God, I think, you know, if, if, if I was God, you know, I'd get a little perturbed with this man who keeps saying, okay, who's going to go with me? Okay, what are we going to do? Uh, and God keeps saying, I'll be with you. I'll go with you. I promise I'll go with you. I'm going with you. Show me your glory. I said I'm with you. I'm talking to you. How can you not see my glory? Oh, you want to see my face. You want to see something concrete. You want to see an image, just like your buddies down at the bottom of the hill wanted an image of a God. You want an image. And God says, you can't see my face. You can't see my face. There we go. God says, I will cause my goodness to pass before you. My goodness, his goodness. We talked about goodness, yes? We talked about good in creation. The word good is this wholeness, this, this, this everything that you need will pass in front of you. Yes? Remember when we talked about that? The word good is that it has everything that you need. Everything you need. So everything you need, I will show you everything you need will pass by you. But you cannot see my face. I am a holy God. You are not holy as a human being because you have sin in you. If you saw my face, you would die. And then this is my favorite part of the story that I really want to focus on. And we have the story of a rock, a cleft, and God's grace. And God says to Moses, you can't see my face, but right over there, right over there, there's a rock. And I want you to go stand on that rock. And when I pass by, I'll put you into cleft of that rock and cover you with my hand. And I'll walk past and remove my hand and you can see my back, my goodness, that I am going before you on this journey. I am already there where you're headed. I'm already there. I'm already there. So where you don't know you're going, just look for me because I'm already there. I'm already there. But that funny word, when, 
Do you like to wait? Silence make you nervous? I preached several times when I was in college at Mid-American Nazarene University in Kansas. I preached several times in a, in a, a fringe church, which is a, 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 a Nazarene-ish Quaker group, if you will. And I preached there, and they had Quaker communion. It was on the, I was on the, the worship list, you know, and I was, I was supposed to preach right after that. I didn't know what that meant. So uh, I'm saying, okay, Quaker communion, we're going to have communion, that's great. And all of a sudden they said, okay, it's time for Quaker communion. Everybody just sat down and... For five minutes. I can't wait a minute and a half for my popcorn to pop. Five minutes of silence. But when, God doesn't say to Moses when he's going to pass by. He just says, stand there. Stand there and wait. Because it's worth waiting for. So he walks by, puts him in this cleft of this rock, whatever that would look like. We all, we love singing that song, you know, he, what, what, what's the, what's, how's it go? The cleft of the rock, I remember it, I remember it, but I'm having a brain fade, sorry. He hid my soul in the cleft of the rock, that's it, I love that song, I love that song. Hides him, takes his hands away. And Moses sees the back of God. All the goodness of God's promise, I am with you. All the goodness of God's promise that I will go with you and I will lead you through this wilderness. All the promise of everything that God had promised in the first place, he sees his back. Whew. Well, friends, that's grace. God doesn't have to show himself to us. God doesn't have to listen to our prayers. God doesn't have to, to touch our hearts when we worship. God doesn't have to, to show us grace at all. He is God. We should worship him because he's God, not for what he does for us. And yet God is willing and wants to be with us, touch us, cover us, walk with us, lead us, beside us, behind us. God is eternal in the past, in the present, in the future, all at the same time. God is and he is with us. That's an amazing thing in this crisis moment for Moses. When Moses was standing there and God says, go and lead these people, but I'm not going with you. I mean, Moses was thinking, okay, God, I'm here with you. And down there, I got two million griping, groaning, crumbling, crying, and moaning, groaning, complaining, and hating my guts people down there. I'm not going down there without you. It's okay to want that. It's okay to say that. God, I'm not going to work today without you. I need you with me. 
I need you, God. I need to know that you are with me. I need, I'm going to, I'm going to, to embrace the fact that you are with me today in this mess I'm about to face. I want to know that you are with me. And God says the same thing to us. I will go with you. I am with you. All about you, but that, that lights me up. That gives me so much hope that sometimes this world can get overwhelming. And we get into chapter 34, verses 1 through 4. Let's see what time is here. So the Lord tells Moses, okay, chisel some more stones. You make your own stones this time, but I'll write on them. But you have to make your own stones this time. I gave you the last ones, but you went and broke them, so you're going to have to make your own. So Moses has to cut his own rocks, and God writes the commands out on them. And what happens next is the answer to this crisis, this crisis moment of here the Israelites have completely abandoned God, even just days, just days after promising to honor this commandment, this, this covenant that God made with him, just days after receiving the presence of God in their midst, just days of receiving uh, the God's promise that I will be your God and you will be my people, they rejected him completely. And Moses is going through this, this just imagine how your heart feels. You, what do you do? You know, God says, get away from me. Take him out of here. Get away from me. Take him out of here. And, and, and I'm not, I can't go without you. Can you. Just put yourself in Moses' place. That gut feeling between being a, between a rock and a hard place. Literally. Verses 6 and 7 are important, so I put them up there. They're all important, of course. The Lord passed in front of Moses calling out, Yahweh, the Lord. The Lord calls himself Lord, Yahweh, I am, I am, I am, I am, I am with you, I am, I am present, I am, I will never be not I am, I is. The God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love, chesed, and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love, chesed, to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Wow. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. But then we have the rest of verse 7, and we find out that love and justice cannot be separated. But I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and their grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children of third and fourth generations. That seems harsh, very harsh. Clearly, he's talking about unrepentant sins, mainly. That when we refuse to repent of our sins, 
and we continue in our addictions, and we continue in our sinful nature, and we continue in our sinfulness, it's passed down through our children and through their children. And even with addictions, there's evidence of addictions becoming part of DNA of, an, of generation after generation after generation. Uh, this aspect of, of unrepentant sin is, is there. But the fact is, when we sin, when sin, God will forgive us. But the fact is, sometimes we can do things that do affect our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. Even though we are forgiven, they still feel the brunt of what we did, perhaps a shame or whatever. I think I, I love history, and I read a lot of Civil War history, and, and reading the story of, of James Wilkes uh, Booth, who, who killed Abraham Lincoln. For generations, they carried the scorn and shame of what he did in killing the President of the United States. So really, this is a statement that teaches us that what we should think carefully about what we do. We should think carefully about what we say. We should think carefully about how we approach life. We should be careful about, about the way we, we, we treat other people and the way we treat even other sinners. You know, our children hear us when we decry sinners as animals or as, as, as lesser thans or as scum or as whatever. They hear us. They hear us. You know, we need to be careful because even what we say when we think it's, a, you know, we're not doing anything wrong will affect generation after generation after generation. Our actions have consequences. Good actions have good consequences. Bad actions have bad consequences. And sometimes uncertain and even un... I uh, just, I didn't mean it. Actions have consequences. So we need to be aware of this. Very much so. In verses 8 through 10, we have another conversation. Moses says, if I have found favor in your eyes, then go with us again. Go with us. How many times do I have to say? He says, even though these stiff-necked people, them, looking down the hill, but here we have a shift. Here Moses finally takes responsibility for the fact that he was the leader of these folks for all this time getting to Sinai. He says, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. In the Lord in covenant, I will do wonders never before done. Awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Grace, forgiveness, and mercy, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in chesed and faithfulness. This is the chesed love of God that we can actually reject him, even though we know the truth, even though we have been given so much by him, we can reject him, and he still wants us to be in relationship with him. He still will forgive us of our sins. He will still renew conversation and relationship 
with us. He will still be with us. In fact, in our sinfulness, he is with us, wooing us, bringing us back into relationship with him. These crisis moments, if, if, if Moses had said, yes, okay, God, go ahead and wipe them out and let's start all over. Would we be here today? I don't know. I don't know. If this is God's plan, of course we would be, but is it predetermined? I don't know. If God says, no, I'm not going to forgive these people, no, they have rejected me, they have blasphemed my name, they have created this, this, they have created this idol, they have broken all the, the first three commandments, they broke in two seconds after I gave it to them. No, I'm not going to forgive them. Will we be here today? I don't know. I don't know. But in the midst of crisis, Moses stood up and said, I can't fix this. I can't fix it. I don't have any answers. I don't want to be the father of these people. I don't want to be Abraham. God, we need you. I'm not going anywhere unless you go with me. I'm not going anywhere with these people unless you go with us. I'm not going to do this. And God says, I will do as you say. I will go with you. His grace abounds. His love is amazing. Have you noticed lately that the theme is here that there, that there is actually love in the Old Testament? The God of love is very rich and real in this book. All right, well, I, I think I probably have gone over. I really need to get a watch. Oh, I have four minutes. Wow, that's great. Any thoughts, any questions or anything? All right, well, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you see us in all of our worst. You see us in our, our, our lowest places. You see us in the darkest of night. You see us in the deepest parts of our hearts that we really don't want anybody else to see. And you promise to your Holy Spirit that you will come and you will cleanse us and you will heal us and you will break us whole again in your spirit, dear God. And we thank you for sanctification. We thank you, God, for your, your willingness to forgive us of our most grossest sins and to live with us and to dwell in us. And we thank you for the stories of the Old Testament that show us this, this, this outside picture of this, this, this image of your, your presence and, and your, your, your confronting and your, your wanting to, to, to make right what is wrong. We thank you, God, for your compassion, your grace, your faithfulness. Lord, we have all most likely had some type of crisis in our life that we, we just wish had never happened, Lord, loss of a loved one that is so precious to us, uh, uh, the, just the loss of a job with little kids in the house, the loss of, of something. Uh, that, that has devastated us, God, and, and, and you have been real and rich for us. 
And Lord, we know there'll be a day, I'm sure, still in our lives, there'll be a moment in time where we just don't know what to do. And we're grateful that we can turn our hearts to you and say, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And you will show us all your goodness. And it will be enough. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your presence with us today. We thank you for this Lord's Day. I thank you for these people. Now be with us today as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.